I'm going to bring our Bible readings to us this morning. Firstly, uh, we're turning to the Epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 10, and a couple of verses commencing at verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And then some verses from Romans chapter 12, commencing at verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Lord, I pray you'll just bless these readings to us, and I pray now you'll bless Paul as he comes and shares your word with us this morning. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Well, good morning to you all. Thank you for inviting me into your home today. Um, my thanks go to Paul and to Phil and Elaine at the back who are twiddling all the knobs and doing a fantastic job. Have you ever wondered how many words we speak each day? Now, I can't vouch for the, for the veracity of these figures, but it's reckoned that on average, a woman speaks about 20,000 words every day. While men only speak 7,000 words. Someone has suggested that the difference is because women have to repeat things for men at least twice. Now, the Bible has got much to say about the tongue, about words, and the power of words. Here are four verses from the book of Proverbs. The tongue has the power of life and death. Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. The soothing tongue is a tree of life. Gracious words are sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. We can use our words to, to build people up or to tear them down, to criticize people or to encourage them. Words can soothe, but they can also sting. We continue in our series, Holding Firmly to the Faith. We're looking at the book of Hebrews and those letter statements. The purpose of this book is to encourage believers from a Jewish background to persevere 
in a time of persecution. And today our theme is, let us encourage one another. I've already mentioned that negative criticism wounds. John Ruskin once described a painting by Constable as the mere blundering of a clever peasant and kind words. But I guess all of us have been stung by words, sometimes perhaps many years ago. Maybe words from parents, maybe words from an employer, maybe even words from another believer. For some of you, those wounds still hurt. Maybe today is a day when you can pray for forgiveness for that person and in so doing, be released yourself. Many years ago, perhaps in the early days when I was preaching, I remember standing at the door after I preached a message, shaking hands with people, and you get those comments, well, thank you for your message today, etc., etc. And then this guy came up to me, shook me by the hand, and said that was quite a good message. In fact, I couldn't find anything wrong with it. That hurt at the time, but I can laugh about it now. So we're to encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 Encourage one another and build each other up. Encouragement is, is oxygen to the soul. Mark Twain said, I can live on one good and sincere compliment for two months. You know what it's like when somebody encourages you and builds you up. Almost feel as if you can walk on air. But don't wait for someone to encourage you. Take the initiative. That word encourage is the Greek word parakaleo. It means to come alongside, to strengthen, and to comfort. And people need comfort, they need strengthening when facing different challenging circumstances. Maybe it's being made redundant or not getting that job you interviewed for. Maybe facing an operation or recovering from one. Maybe going through a time of depression or experiencing a time of grief. I think it's important to identify that authentic encouragement isn't just about patting someone on the head or putting an arm around their shoulder. The Apostle Paul encourages us to speak truth in love. Now, it's relatively easy to speak truth into another person's life, but it's important that our words come from a heart of love. Authentic encouragement moves people on. It moves them on towards spiritual growth and maturity. Sometimes we may need to focus on areas where a person is failing in their personal life. And our words might include words of rebuke or correction. But our motive must always be one of love. We are to encourage one another. We're to spur one another on. 
Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Well, obviously we can't meet together in this church building as we would normally do, but the day is coming when we will be able to gather together in this building. That word spur, it literally means to stir up, to provoke, to move people in a given direction. Verbal encouragement includes the idea of one person joining another person on a journey so that their encouraging words enable the one who's been encouraged to press on despite obstacles. So our responsibility as God's children is to stimulate one another to love and to express that love in good deeds. I'd like to take time to look at a practical example of encouragement. I could have used Barnabas, uh, but um, Beth Powney actually mentioned uh, Barnabas in a message a few weeks ago. So I track back to the Old Testament and I just want to look briefly at that beautiful friendship between David and Jonathan. We read in 1 Samuel 18 that their, their souls were knit together. In the Niv, it says, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. There was nothing untoward about that relationship. It's possible for two men to love one another without any hints of sexual immorality. So let's look at the context. In 1 Samuel, King, uh, 1 Samuel 10, Israel demanded a king. They wanted to be like all the other nations who had kings. And Samuel anoints Saul as king. And then in 1 Samuel 12, Samuel begins to bow out. He's old and he's gray. I think I know a little bit about how he felt. He warns the people that having a king will be costly. 1 Samuel 14, a time of many battles against Israel's neighbors, uh, mainly the Philistines, and then in 1 Samuel 15, Saul becomes increasingly disobedient. He's rejected by God as king. God's spirit is withdrawn from him, and he's tormented by an evil spirit. Then in 1 Samuel 16, 17, David's anointed as future king by Samuel in a private ceremony. He enters the court, the service of King Saul as a musician. And so I just want to look at a few lessons I believe we can learn from this beautiful relationship. First of all, we need to be aware of others. Jonathan was the king's son, and legally he was next in line to the throne. Yet he was interested in David as a person with needs and feelings. And sometimes we can be so consumed and obsessed with ourselves and our lives that we fail to notice others, whether they be single, widowed, unemployed, those living alone. 
Sometimes I can be so obsessed with my own thoughts, my own life. It's a selfishness. It's actually a sin. Dale Carnegie said you can make more friends in two months by being really interested in other people than you can ever in two years by trying to get people interested in you. That's just another way of saying that the best way to make a friend is to be one. Jonathan was no fair-weather friend. He remained loyal even when the going got tough. And boy, did he get tough. Saul's bitter jealousy results in him trying to pin David to the wall with a spear on at least two occasions. And eventually, David has to flee from the court. He becomes a fugitive on the run from Saul, and his armies move from place to place in an attempt to avoid his pursuers. But how does Jonathan respond? How should we respond to a friend in need? Well, we need to take the initiative. I've mentioned this earlier. We read that Saul's son, Jonathan, sought out David Horish. Jonathan took the initiative. He knew his friend was in dire straits, and he wanted to go and encourage him. He tracked David down in the desert. That took determination. It took courage. It took energy. It took effort. No mobile phones in those days. Hi, David, where are you? I'll be with you in a couple of hours. Jonathan took the initiative. No, my friends, sometimes we're afraid to go because we wonder what sort of reception we're going to receive. Jonathan took the initiative. then we need to be bringers of hope. Jonathan says to David, my father will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Jonathan encouraged David to see that the situation wasn't totally hopeless. There was light at the end of the tunnel. He reminded David of God's plans and purposes for him. He gave David hope. We have a God of hope. A God who wants to encourage us that the situation we're facing is not hopeless if we trust in him and walk with him. And then, as we encourage someone, we want to help them focus on God. I love this phrase, Jonathan helped him to find strength in God. Jonathan is used to lift David's eyes away from the problem and back onto God. Sometimes when we're seeking to encourage someone, it will be appropriate to use scriptures. And our backing for that is this, for What Paul says in Romans 15, for everything that was written in the past was written to teachers, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. We can all be used in this way. I wonder if there's someone that you can be a Jonathan to today 
I wonder if there's someone that you can get alongside this week and encourage. Often we ask people, how are you? Or how's it going? And people respond, well, I'm, I'm fine. But sometimes we need to have to probe, we need to probe a little deeper. How's it really going? Is there some way in which I can help you? Is there something I can pray for? And during these times of COVID restriction, it's good to pray with people on the phone. Well, remember a few years ago when I said to someone on the phone, can I pray with you? And they weren't quite sure that that was spiritual. But use the opportunity to pray with people on the phone. As I was preparing this message... I remembered a phrase that Ian Charles used in a message a few weeks ago. It was a telling, telling statement, statement. He said, and I may be paraphrasing, but he said, the Christian faith doesn't have to be spectacular in order to be genuine. The Christian faith doesn't have to be spectacular in order to be genuine. And that comment struck a positive chord in my spirit. It's lingered with me ever since. Now, as believers, it's important that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, sometimes we can think that God only turns up in a spectacular. But he can turn up in an apparently insignificant encounter as we can see from Elijah's experience. Thank you for the water, Elaine. Ahab's wife, Jezebel, has put a contract out on Elijah's life. He flees for his life. He becomes thoroughly depressed to such an extent that he wanted God to take his life. But God has future plans for him, God ministers to his physical needs, and after a period of rest, he moves on, he enters a cave, and he vents his frustration. Then God reveals himself in a very special way. We read in 1 Kings 19, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. God knew what the discouraged and depressed Elijah needed at that particular time. Elijah may have been looking for God in the dramatic I mean, God has certainly shown up at Mount Carmel. But God sometimes appears in the spectacular, but he can often appear in less dramatic ways. God didn't appear in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. He spoke in a gentle whisper, a still, small voice. Instead of the earth-shaking phenomena 
that have gone before. Maybe as you go on your prayer walk this week or as you sit in the lounge of your home that you take time perhaps just to look at a couple of scriptures, ask God to speak to you in a gentle whisper, in a still, small voice. Isn't this evidence that God can use an apparently insignificant conversation with someone for his plans and purposes? I think we've seen already that every Christian, every follower of Jesus Christ should be an encourager. But some are given the gift of encouragement. Paul read the verse in Romans, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is to to encourage, then give encouragement. We should all be using opportunities to encourage. Some have that specific gift of encouragement. Maybe you would want to pray this week that God might give you that special gift of encouragement. I'm drawing to a close and what I want to say now I I, I believe is important for us as a church. In recent times many suggestions have been put forward about how we move forward as a church. Now I firmly believe that all of the spiritual gifts are in use today. But do you know the one thing that is more important than spiritual gifts? It is love. If we haven't got love in our hearts, then even spiritual gifts are pointless, futile, they're useless. In that lovely chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love for God and his words. Love for other believers and a love for non-believers. See how they love one another are the words Tertullian used back in the third century. These were words spoken by some of the non-Christians as they observed the activity and the relationship of those who are followers of Jesus. See how they love one another. Jesus said to his disciples, his followers, A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. May love be the hallmark of NCBC as we seek to encourage one another in the coming days. Amen.